Welcome to Sober Holic, a podcast about Christian recovery, where each week we explore topics that can free you from bondage and strengthen your relationship with God, others, and yourself. Now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome back, Soberholics, to another episode. Man, today, Jason, it has been hot, right? Oh, yeah. They say it's meteorological fall, but it's not. Doesn't feel like that. I can't even say that. Meteorologically Me- fall. Is that what you said? Meteorologically. That sounds really smart. For an <laughs> Alabama boy with the, with the accents you have, you should not say that word. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's still hot, though. I'm looking forward to the fall. How, are you looking forward to this episode today? Oh, yeah. yeah Definitely. Well, I know I'm my favorite person here. I know. I saw that you said that as you looked at her and her being your wife. Yay. Hi. Hey. 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 I talk about her almost every episode. I know you have to, but if he's not, required be... to mention me at least once. <laughs> That's the only reason Dakota listens is to see if I mention her. Yeah, so that way she can get on to you if you right, don't. Yeah. yeah. How long have I been married? This December will be three years. Oh, Dakota, I set the trap and you let him out of it because he wouldn't have known. Yeah, I would. I yeah, know. he would have. December 16th. You see, I wouldn't have known. Like, if you asked me, like, I would have to count up a little bit and make it. You've been work. married longer. I have been, but like I still even remember my kids' birthdays. My little daughter, <laughs> she's seven. She said, "Dad, when's my birthday?" I was like, "Honey, I don't know." <laughs> I'm so, I'm it's so not horrible. on Facebook. September. <laughs> so, so I think it's gonna be a good show today. I, I got a lot of questions I get to ask, and I, I have hopes that we can kind of help other families that kind of have someone who struggles with addiction and their family can kind of see the other side of it. I was talking to you both before the show and was talking about how my wife and I, we don't really relate to this well because my wife and I were both in recovery. In fact, I met her in AA meeting. So, you know, we get, as I tell people a lot of times, we play by the same rules, meaning the same 12 steps. Yeah. And so when we, when we do someone do wrong to one another, we know by doing a 10th step that we're supposed to, to you know, to take an inventory that night and, and admit our wrongs promptly. Where I'm not saying that you don't do that, Dakota. We're going to get to that. But, you know, a lot of times people don't use that in a relationship. Relationship. You know, it's good advice for anyone, but it's just not always practiced that way, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, I think they're one 12-step group. They call they call the program a design for living, and that's, that's what it is for most addicts, alcoholics, whatever, um, people in addiction who are working a program. It's a whole nother set of rules that you're living by, and to... To be married and living with somebody who is not coming from that, you know, it, it's it definitely presents challenges, but but it's also rewarding too because, you know, I feel like Dakota has benefited from me being in recovery because she's learned some of the same principles. You know, as we've said on the show a lot of times, we believe that the twelve steps and and working any kind of recovery program because they're all similar, you know, can benefit anybody, not just somebody who's an addict. So to recap a little bit, just from way back when, um, just so our listeners or maybe new listeners would know, you're you're in recovery for drug addiction, correct? Yes. And Dakota, you've never really witnessed him in an, an addictive lifestyle, correct? No. He's been sober ever since you when when we met. He was about a year sober. 
right. So you, you don't know the old Jason, then? I, I don't. I've seen pictures. They're terrifying. I've seen some of them. They are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> seen pictures, heard stories. That's what you need to put when you put this show out. You need to put that picture no. on. Oh, no, that no, no, would no. be so good. <laughs> no mm, one needs then, to see that. <laughs> It will be forever immortalized on the internet after that, and, and, and nobody needs that. So. Yeah, true. You just need to know that it was bad. It, it was bad, because it looks nothing like you. Yeah. It's amazing how much we change and not even realize it. Oh, yeah. So this brings me to a lot of questions. I don't even really know where the best place to start is, but um, I, I think maybe let's give including myself, some backstory. You said that y'all met about a year into his sobriety. Yeah. Where where were y'all living? What was the deal with that? How did y'all meet? Uh, well, we met at church. Um, he, I think he came to a Sunday school class one time, and I noticed him, and someone called the group he was with. They were like, oh, those are the rehab guys. And so I didn't even think, I didn't think twice. Also, I was dating someone. And so we became friends whenever he started to play guitar because I was, you know, on the praise team and um, we became friends and just went to church together. But then we had a class together at seminary. And um, so that is just where our love story unfolded. And this was all in New Orleans, correct? Yeah, in New Orleans, yeah. And mm-hmm. the class was Christian theology. <laughs> it was a great class. I, I didn't pay attention the whole semester. Because yeah. you were paying attention to Jason. I was just Jason. paying attention to Jason. Yeah. The rehab guy. Yeah. The rehab guy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because there's a lot of like churches that will bring in different rehabs or um, celebrate recoveries, whatever. Cause that was a rehab close to you, though, yeah. what that was talking about. Oh, yeah. And so that, and you were still in rehab then? Yeah. Um, was I, I, think I, I think I was living... I had moved from the rehab right across the street to the seminary to finish my my college degree. So I think I was already living in the seminary. When is this we started when you were dating. a security guard? This is when I was a security guard, campus police. Uh, uh, campus police with a felony and no gun. No gun. Yeah. No <laughs> that was so good. They, they, they wouldn't remember, let me have a gun. I remember seeing you at AA meeting. You was telling me all about it. I'm like, really? I mean, what are you going to do? Oh, man. He's going to scold them harshly. They were like, do you carry a, a bullet around in your pocket like Barney Five or anything? I'm like, no, I guess I could throw a rock at him. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, before I got my part with my felony, like, I was afraid to carry anything, even a sharp butter knife. You know, I, yeah. I felt like I couldn't do anything. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, so anyways, a security guard with no gun, and you're now dating Dakota, I guess. Is that, that led into y'all dating. It did. I did. I used to bring him coffee and just swear up and down that we were just friends. And then I broke up with my boyfriend, and like, mm, like five seconds later, we were together. Yeah. Well, from the very beginning, I mean, because you, you've already – labeled him as the rehab guy because that's what you had was told at your church uh, did that not throw up some red flags some concern like what if he rel- relapses you know any of those things no i mean at first it didn't one be- i mean honestly when you first are liking someone you don't think about any of those things but you know my my dad had a pretty rough past with drugs and alcohol and so it wasn't like it was something that I wasn't exposed to I mean I didn't see my dad in that state but I mean from stories he's told you know it wasn't like you know I I, I knew somebody who had had problems with that so it really didn't throw up a red flag his age threw more of a flag than <laughs> anything but we got past that 
Yeah, so how far are y'all apart age wise? Twelve years. Twelve years. Because yeah, mm-hmm. we made it. I mean, oh, I made a joke. We didn't. I'm gonna throw you under the bus here. But I, I said something about did you take your diaper bag on your first date or something? And yeah, so, I heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we. we you, I just I asked that question because like I met my wife in recovery and like I told her literally this morning we were walking around our neighborhood and I was like I didn't really think our marriage would last five years I just didn't I didn't think we would stay sober five years much less our marriage stay intact through that because I've been previously married before and I was like you know there's just no way this is going to work but for us using these 12 steps is kind of a rules as we said for our marriage it's it's been beneficial to us and so that's kind of what i wanted to take our the rest of our conversation about is what recovery has looked like well i know how like recovery has looked like for you for jason but how has jason's recovery looked like for you dakota um is it I know my wife, she understands the need for me to go to meetings because she don't want to experience the old me. So it's it's beneficial for her um, if I stay sober. It's beneficial for everybody if I stay sober. But she understands the need for me to go there because it's a, it's a maintenance type thing that it's not like if I don't make it to my weekly 12-step meeting, I'm going to relapse, but it's a needed thing for me to, one, to be able to give back, two, to maybe stay grounded in my recovery. Have you found it difficult uh, maybe to, to let him go all the time? Are there times that you would rather him just stay at home? Well, I will say Jason has about 5,000 extracurricular activities or, you know, he used to not anymore. He's a lot better at saying no, but whenever he had 5,000 extracurricular activities, recovery was not the ever the one that I wanted him to skip. Um, you know, there were a lot of other things that I wish he would have been around for, but like, I mean, I was never bothered by it because very early on he was like, you're, you're going to need to learn what this is and why this is important. Right. So have you ever felt that there's there's a hard decision to make a choice between your wife for yeah. recovery? Yeah, because there's I mean there's some nights where there'll you know there'll be a couple of weeks where I mean we won't really spend much time together because she's in school at on a couple nights a week. I have CR, you know, and church on a couple nights a week and all that. So we'll go a couple of weeks. And then um, there was one time, I guess it was a couple months ago, where you were like, can you skip CR? And I said, I'm outing you now. Oh, yeah. I, but that's the only time I've ever asked that. I think that is that is the only time you've ever asked. But you asked if I could skip CR. And I was like, no, you know. And it, But it was good because we had a long conversation about like, you know, she thought, well, she had gotten into her mind that I was going because I felt like I was obligated to go because I was serving in some kind of kind of capacity. I was either supposed to play music that night or something. So and, he kind of overcommitted himself to something else, kind of like what you were talking about in the beginning. Yeah. But she, you know, but I was like, no, the reason why I'm going is I, I do it for me, too. You know, like I like... I like serving, but I'm not going. I'm not going there because I feel like I have to. You know. Well, and I forget that just because I've been, I've been to AA meetings with him, and then I've been to CR meetings, and like the only like he in AA, there's no like 
there's no like leadership, you know, there's, you know, mediators and everybody's, everybody's considered equal, but when in, a, in the church setting, you know, you have the people that are running this program every week and he has a natural leadership tendency. And so he, he always finds his way into some sort of leadership or serving with both of the CRs that I've been a part of with him. And so I guess that's kind of where my mind went is like, Oh, he just, he just feels like he needs to, to serve instead of, and, but I, you know, I forget that it's actually for him too. Right. I know early on, like for me and for you too, Jason, um, you know, some of the things that we get told a lot is, you know, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I probably hear that saying a lot. I probably use that, that saying just as many times. And it, it was so important for me and my wife when we started in recovery just to go to meetings. And it turned in for almost like a date for us because we were there for multiple reasons. I mean, <laughs> yeah, really, that yeah. was date night. Yeah. And But, you know, we kept our sobriety separate, which mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, I, I wouldn't tell anyone to start dating in, in recovery like I did, but um, it's worked well for us. But we, we used it, you know, we were going to more than 90 meetings in 90 days to begin with. And then I, I've, heard, I've heard different schools of thought on this, but some people say, well, you just need to keep going to meetings, 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 you know, uh, meeting makers make it, that, all, all these different, uh, this lingo. Well, there come a point in my recovery to where – I wanted to have a life outside of just going to meetings all the time. Oh, yeah. And as I continued to stay sober, my responsibilities came in. And I heard y'all mention about the other things going on in your lives. And like we, we began having kids together. Heck, we got jobs. That was something yeah. new. <laughs> so we had to juggle a job in between yeah. all these meetings. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned Dakota going to college and, and all these things you're doing. So all these, Things are pulling you in different directions. Have you um, have you found kind of your sweet spot of what what how many meetings you need to go to? Or yeah, I feel like I mean, and I was like you in the beginning. I mean, I was going to two or three meetings a day because I didn't even have a job, and you know that eventually turned into whenever I had a job, even with a full time job early on in sobriety, I was going to a meet one meeting at least every day. Um, and I remember I had a job when I was at the seminary, when I was the campus police, I had overnight shift and I would go to a meeting at 10 PM every night before I went in for my shift. So, I mean, early on, I was going to a pile of meetings a week, but you know, after we got married and stuff, I mean, that's, it's, it's really just not, it's not practical. Like, you know, um, now, if I got into a place where I was really feeling temp- like a lot of temptation, like I'm about to use or I'm about to to relapse, I would definitely step my meetings up. You know, I would go to more. But um, I, I feel like I'm kind of in a maintenance um, sweet spot with just going to one one meeting a week uh, right now. But I mean, like we've talked about on the show before, I mean. I, there's not a day that goes by where I don't either think about recovery or talk about recovery to somebody in some form or fashion. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just because I'm only going and early on when I was going to one meeting, two meetings a day, I, I couldn't imagine only going once a week because I was like, man, I'll just loot, you know, I'll relapse. And I won't, you know, be thinking about recovery as much as I'm, I should. But now that I'm on the other side of that and I'm I'm going once a week, I mean, I, I, I feel, I think 
I thought that the meetings were going to keep me sober and they, they didn't for me. Um, I think I was living more in fear than in freedom. And I, and I feel like I'm living more in freedom now. And that's, that's how I'm able to only go to one meeting a week. So you mentioned that you'd like recovery, something in your life every day, you've built in these different, different things that you do. So recovery is front and foremost on your mind all the time. Now, Dakota, I'm assuming recovery is like never really on your mind because it's not something you've really ever struggled with, right? No. Not, not, not in that sense. So your, your life looks completely different than what Jason focuses on, other than your Christian disciplines that y'all, y'all, y'all probably do, whether they're together or individually. Yeah, I mean, even if we're doing the same things, my internal motivations are completely different than his. Talk to me a little bit about that. What, what do you mean by that? Well, okay. You know, I guess, you know, he does think he thinks about recovery all the time and, and everything is, especially since he's an Enneagram one, is about bettering himself. And he's got that inner critic, especially being an addict. You know, he, he wants to do the morally right thing. And so he can't criticize himself. Whereas I have never struggled with, you know, drugs or alcohol. And there's, there's not a lot of things. I'm a chronic quitter. The exact opposite, and so like, you know, I've never had to worry. I've never had to worry about something completely consuming my life, and I forget that with with him. And so my motivations are just my motivations are totally different. I'm you know an Enneagram three. I know y'all talked about the Enneagram on the show, and you know my motivations are you know more about my accomplishments and how people see me. Right. I thought you had something you were fixing to say there, Jason. You, yeah, you was just, deep thought over there. I was just there. nodding and thinking. I was agreeing. I was nodding in agreement. But, I mean, does it ever annoy you? Um, and we're not doing marriage counseling here. This is not no, a marriage no, counseling. I will pack my stuff and I'm out the door if we get Session there. with Roger. <laughs> marriage counseling with Roger. Live. Live. Um, but does it ever bother you, like, does it ever cause tension, like having those, I'm sure it does, uh, having those different motivations like you were talking about? No, not well. And so I think what really helped and something that I would encourage everybody who's in a relationship with, even if it's not a romantic relationship, if it's just somebody who's really close to you, who's struggles with addictive behaviors, you know, I've had family members who went to Al-Anon and that just wasn't for me, but I think it was because I'd never seen you like that. I wanted to go to, I wanted to go to a program meeting. I mm-hmm. wanted to go to an AA meeting so that I could see what, what your process about. was like. I wanted to see how people, you know, in, in that sort of setting process, their emotions and process how they were feeling. And to me, that was more of a revelation than if I would have gone and been in a room with other people who didn't understand what Jason was going through. I mean, who better to teach me about Jason's recovery than Jason and the people with him in recovery? And so that that really helped not me not have as much tension because I was going with him in his setting. Well, one thing that I've learned uh, from recovery is that or one that has taught me is to see see things from a different perspective. And, And I can definitely devote all that to what I've learned from step work is just see things through maybe the other person's lens. And so when my wife and I, we have arguments or whatever, like any other married couple or any other relationship period, whether it's 
you know, marriage or not, there's there's disagreements because we see things from different perspectives. And so if we get into an argument, oftentimes I will I'm able to kind of pause and breathe, and those are some of the same things, those basic life tools I've learned from 12-step meetings, and to kind of help see those things from a different perspective. In the past, without that, I would just kind of clam up and we wouldn't talk anymore. Do you do any of that, or do you naturally do that, or do you kind of naturally just push it under the rug and act like it didn't happen? How do how do y'all deal with disagreements? I guess is the question. Uh, nothing fits under our rug. <laughs> yeah, ain't it, nothing. There ain't no room there's for nothing. But the we're both, and he did not. He was not always like that. He's a very repressive person with his anger, or is just his. You know, oh, he's got. We, we've talked about anger. Yeah, we've talked yeah. About anger and anger. But I'm issues. very outward, and so I think we've kind of balanced each other out, and because you know, it was it helps with him being like you know. I mean, I I come from a family that's like if we're if we're mad, we're loud, and he's been like, please don't talk to me that way. Oh, that's so me. And <laughs> if he and when he is, I can tell that he's mad at me because he'll start passive aggressively doing chores, which yeah, like real loud doing like the really loud, like, like washing the dishes and slamming them down. And so I've had to tell him like, you can tell me how you feel. It's not going to hurt my feelings. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to ruin anything between us if you tell me you're mad at me. But that's like a trick women play on guys. Like, tell me, and it's not going to hurt my feelings as soon as you say it hurts your feelings. But it's gotten better. It's, I mean, we're still learning this too. Mm-hmm. Oh you know, we're yeah, I mean, better at it. Yeah, but I was like, you know, I, I'm going to be much more annoyed with you if you just keep slamming the cabinets when you're doing dishes. <laughs> Than if you just tell me what's bothering you. And so both of us have gotten into a pretty good balance of just saying what's what's wrong with what's on our minds and talking it out. And while, you know, it might go on for a couple of days where we're frustrated, but eventually we'll come to some sort of compromise or agree to disagree or most of of the time it'll it'll won't go past a day. The way I've noticed lately last year this year or anyway it'll be like you'll know that i'm upset at something and or i'll know that you're upset and i'll just say hey are you upset point blank and you'll be like yes oh yeah there's no like, like no i'm fine and then you'll just be like because of this and this i'll be like okay let's i mean how are we gonna fix i mean what can we do and so we kind of just cut to the chase and just get to serious and you know, get down to business as far as resolving and, you know, reconciling whatever differences we have as soon as possible. Because, I mean, w- w- in being in recovery, I can't, like, with the 10th step doing, taking inventory or whatever, I can't stand to have something hanging over me, you know, like a, a relationship that's not in right standing. I can't stand it. It's, it's, it's too, like after after having such a huge burden of like pain and suffering in my addiction like the smallest you know thing in a relationship that's out of out of alignment or whatever with me now it bothers me so much i I just have to resolve it as soon as i can that's the same way i am but are you able to kind of if there's Are you able to kind of cover that up and just not deal with it, or do you have to deal with it yourself to kind of? 
Like, do you understand what I'm saying? No. Okay. Like, if there's something going on, say he's not doing something, and rather than being passive aggressive, can you just overlook the issue, or do you have to address the issue? Oh, I have to address it. Okay. But just because, I mean, he can. I know that it's going to cause tension between us if I just overlook it, and it's going to cause tension between us if he overlooks something, and so I'd rather just nip it in the bud. See, like for me, being a, a Christian and being in recovery, there's things that I know that I'm supposed to, to, to change, and I know there's things in me that, that the Lord has been changing in me, but I also know the old me, um, and the old me still there. It just parts of that is still in me, and like I can be very spiteful. So, for instance, what I'm what I'm getting to is like if if my wife was doing something that I just didn't like. Rather than just talking to her, and this hasn't happened, but I could see me doing this, especially if I if I'm not balanced with my recovery, and and she's doing something that's bothering me, I could say, "Well, don't you need to go to a meeting? Looks like you're kind of screwed up right now, or throwing some <laughs> little jab like that, some sarcastic jab." Do you ever use things like that towards him? Like use his recovery against him? No, I would uh, no, no, not not yet. Not, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we say that a lot. Not yet. Yeah, but I, I just, I guess, I just don't because I don't understand it. I don't, I don't want to use. I don't because well, I don't ever want to look stupid, and that might just be a selfish reason not to use it. But I don't want to look stupid, like not understanding what recovery is about. Whenever I'm mad at him, yeah. Well, there's been times where I've like, you know, been depressed or whatever, and she's like, you know, do you? Do you need to call your sponsor? Oh, that may be to, a good thing. Though, yeah. Oh, you know. no, it's a good thing. Do you yeah. need to go to a meeting? You know, what do you need? And so. Um, yeah, because I think we even talked about that previously on the episode about, you know, my, my wife is not my sponsor, but what better person to, to know if changes are happening? Oh, in my yeah. Life? Like, you know, I sponsor you, but if I see you, I, mean, I see you more, especially with the show, but if I'm only seeing you once, maybe twice a week, then I may not see those subtle differences in your life where yeah. she lives with you all the time and would see those things. And so that would be great to have my wife encourage me when oh, I, yeah. she sees changes in me. Yeah, she'll <laughs> say, I think you're depressed, and I'll be like, nah, I'm not. And then like two or three days later, I'll be like, nah, I'm She's right. I am. You know, she'll but, she'll notice it before I even can recognize it myself. Right. Yeah. I asked the question about using his recovery against him for no other reason than this. I believe that a lot of our listeners have probably seen a, a maybe a different side of a relationship than than y'all have. That they live through the addiction with them, and so they're kind of hurt and they carry resentment through it and they see maybe their spouse getting better and then maybe they make a turn for the worst or or they're not progressing as fast as they want them to or whatever and so they use it as a jab what would you tell uh another wife we'll say um what are some good ways that you've seen to encourage your husband through recovery um, probably just that talking about it is not a, like a taboo thing. You know, it's not like an, it's not a conversation that you should avoid. I mean, I'm at first, whenever I started asking him these questions, like, you know, do you feel like using, do you feel like drinking? Like, it's kind of like a little checklist. I was really uncomfortable with that. But as time has gone on, I mean, if, if I wasn't comfortable with that, 
then, you know, there'll be a lot of things that maybe weren't talked about. And I don't ever, I don't ever not want to ask and not want to bring it up and him just kind of go down a deep hole. And so, you know, don't, it's one of those, don't be afraid to talk about it because it's not going to be as offensive as you think it's going to be to ask, just to ask questions and try to understand what's going on in their mind. Cause most of the time they'll tell you, you yeah. know, it, he, you know, even if he says, you know, no, I'm not depressed, you know, in a couple, <laughs> in a couple of days, I'll bring it up again. If I, if I see him acting, sometimes he's just having a bad day. But, you know, if I see him continually doing that behavior, then I'll just keep asking, not in an annoying way, but in a, you know, hey, if you ever need to talk to me about this, then I'm open and, and willing to listen to you. That's good. Have you ever found that to be a knock against your man card, if you will, uh, for your wife to be asking you? No, if- no, because I mean... Like, it's something I've experienced with, like, sponsees and stuff like that in recovery, where I'll be like, have you, you know, where I'll, you know, be worried about them, and I'll ask them, you know, you still sober? You've been sober this last week? Or do you feel like using? Do you feel like, you know, whatever, Um, or trying to hold somebody accountable? You know, sometimes they'll get defensive, and they'll, they'll feel threatened by it, like you don't believe in them, and you're... But, um, I, this time, since I've been sober this time, I mean, for a couple of years after I was sober, I was still just taking drug tests all the time at, at the rehab I was at just for accountability's sake. And that really helped me to get over not getting defensive. If somebody ever asked me, you know, Hey, what's going on? You know, I see this, this different behavior going on. Are you Okay. If somebody asked me to take a drug test, you know, right now, I wouldn't be offended because I have this huge, long history, you know, of of drug abuse. And it's a reasonable question. Now, if there's zero evidence in my life, well, then, you know, it's a little different. But I mean, if somebody asked me to take a drug test, there's probably a good reason that they're asking that. Something that whenever we were, I think whenever we maybe we're dating six to seven months or something you went and gave blood yeah and you as soon as we were done he was like okay i'm going to take a drug test and i was like okay why and now i understand like okay somebody sees a mark on your arm you got a big that's a lot different than somebody seeing a mark on my arm (laughs) and i was just like i just want everybody to know this big bruise on my arm wasn't from doing drugs i was i gave blood but (laughs) well i for me, when I first got sober, um, boy, looking back at it, because I've been clean for about fifteen years now, and I don't say that as like this hat to hang my, you know, this thing to hang my hat on. Just looking back, it's, it's hard to see what I was like right when I got uh, first got into recovery. But I can remember talking to people, and uh, let's just say at six months sober, and then they would, I, I would just straight, straight up be a jerk for whatever reason, just had a bad day, and they would go, "Are you using?" No, I ain't using been clean six months. I would take offense to those things. Now today, I'm like, you know, they'll say, you know, are you using like, you know, whatever. It's like no big deal. Um, but have y'all ever ran into any of those type situations like early on, maybe questioning him if he was using or not or anything like that? Yeah, I think when I was doing campus police and working overnight shift, graveyard shift, yeah. I wasn't getting any sleep at all. 
and I look like I had raccoon eyes. I look like he looked awful. Man, I looked off. She saw that, mm-hmm. and I think you said something, and there was a couple other people that were like, "Are you okay?" You know, and I was just like, "Yeah, I'm just not getting any sleep." You know, I mean, I was I was working two jobs, trying to put myself through college, and I knew it was only a temporary thing, and it was only temporary. I I ended up quitting doing it after a while because I just saw that it was not gonna. Wasn't working out good. You weren't going to make it to CIA, right? Yeah, security guard. Huh? <laughs> well, well, not only that, but it, I mean, it just wasn't healthy. It wasn't sustainable yeah. for me. And um, but I mean, I never, I never took offense to it because I knew I looked terrible because I wasn't sleeping at all, staying up all night, and going to school all day. So, um, but I used to take offense. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, I think it, it just depends on where you are in your recovery, whether you take offense. You know, to to questioning your your sobriety or your recovery. You know, as I as I look at you two guys, and and I know our listeners, they don't get to see what I see or or, or be friends with y'all and know that some of the things I know. But you know, I, I'm looking at two individuals who have what I would appear to be a good, healthy relationship, a good marriage, and and I think because that y'all started. After the addiction, yeah. y'all got a lot of bonus points with that. You know, you haven't had to live through that, Dakota. And so you don't bring his baggage into that. Uh, you know, the 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 resentments and, and the anger that come along with that for all of the years of thing he did bad to you. Because usually yeah. that's what happens. Oh, yeah. And so I just I keep trying to think of some of the things that our listeners, you know, have got the spouse who's still living in that to talk about. And I know that um, y'all can't relate with a lot of that, like my wife and and myself. I don't know my wife from that old lifestyle. Yeah. And, I, and I'm scared to know her from that lot, that old lifestyle. And that's the reason meetings is so important for us today, because I want her to go to meetings so I don't ever have to experience that woman. <laughs> I don't want to do it. And she don't want to experience me. You right. Know? Well, one thing for me that I've seen just in being in recovery um, for, for a while is you'll have a you'll have somebody who's in recovery coming to meetings or whatever and you'll have the spouse that lived through the terrible years of the addiction possibly even abuse and then when the person in recovery gets in recovery the spouse does is just so worn out and tired they don't want to make an effort to try to do any understanding and and put forth the effort to actually understand what recovery means and what it is and I think that's where, you know, that's why we have such a healthy relationship is because Dakota put forth a really uh, substantial effort. I mean, she was going to meetings with me every week. That was our date night, too. a long time. And that, that she, speaks volumes. It yeah, really does. She put a lot of effort into understanding where is this, you know, what is this? you know recovery thing where what is 12 steps and and just trying to understand the whole culture behind it and um you know i think that's what's benefited us but if you're somebody who lived through all that pain and you and you have resentments when the person starts recovery i'm sure that it's so much harder to put effort in because you're like i didn't why am i having to work for something that they did 
Right. You know, it's easy to say, well, he's got a problem. He's the one. I don't have a yeah. problem. They have a problem. He's my problem. If he would just be better, <laughs> we would be better. And that's normally the, the, you know, the idea or the logic that's, that I see followed there. Uh, normally, it's not what I hear from what I've heard from you, Dakota, that, you know, I want to understand more about him. And that really just shows how much you love him about willing to get into that hole with him. We've talked about empathy on here, and that's what I see with that is that you're not just sending empathy oh you've got a drug problem no i want to understand your drug problem let me let me let me understand that more i'll go to your meetings with you i'll take an hour out of my day to go over here and do this um i'll be okay with doing this with date night and i'm sure i mean as we talked about earlier and there was that one instance you mentioned here about not going to a meeting for whatever reason um there's times you get you felt i'm speaking for you and just for the simple fact, I believe there would be a, a time, the selfish desire that I want my husband at home, but, you know, he needs to go to a meeting. You know, they're, they're, I'm sure everybody has. I have that with my own wife. You know, I, I want you to be at home. Let's skip the meeting tonight. Let's stay <laughs> at home together. Yeah. Let's just lay there and watch a movie. But usually for with us both being in recovery, one of us goes, no, we've got to be there. Yeah. We need to be there. Yeah. Well, I think, um, Dakota, before before I wrap this up and we go on to the, the next part of our show, is there anything that you would like to say about the whole being married to an addict? What does it look like from your perspective or anything you'd like to share about that? Well, I mean, I think that like any any relationship, any marriage has their, has their thing and, you know, him being a recovering addict and alcoholic just happens to be our thing. And anything is worth working through, you know, to make it work. I mean, he made it pretty clear whenever we first got together that it wasn't going to work if I did not make an effort. And, um, you know, I thought enough about him and respected him enough to make it, you know, to make the effort and make it worth it. It has been worth it for our marriage you know, so it's not it's not like we have this like special, you know, weird problem that we have to work through. You know, I think, you know, people will look at us and maybe like maybe feel bad for me that I have that I have to like deal with it, quote unquote. But it's like, you know, every every relationship, every marriage has something they have to work through. And this just happens to be something that we have to work through. And I love it because the 12 steps, it's like I don't really have like we don't have to figure out what helps him. We don't have to figure out what helps me with the with the 12 steps and with the recovery program. It's like it's already been laid out in front of us like a map of how to make it work. And so that's been really easy and nice. One thing I was thinking of when you said all that is when my wife and I, we first started dating, she brought an, a child to the marriage who was two years old. He's my oldest son today. He's 17. But um, we had to work through that. I had to learn how to be dad. Um, his dad was not present. He signed over rights and then all that. And so that was something we worked through. And I, I think that married couples everywhere have that thing they work with. It may not be a perfect setup like you have to walk into, but um, you know, we we work through a lot of those different things. And today, um, as I talk to. My son, um, I, I don't even think about him being my stepson. Literally, my I've got three kids, and my youngest asked if Matthew, which is my oldest, if he was my step, if if that was her stepbrother, and I was like, 
it like took me beside myself. I, I didn't even know what she was asking. No, that's your brother. And I realized, no, that would actually be your half brother. Mm. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've literally never even thought about that. Yeah. In the beginning, it was hard for us to kind of maneuver through that because I said I didn't even want kids when we got married. <laughs> um, we broke up a little while for that. Like we were engaged, I called it off um, because I didn't. I was too scared from some previous hurt in a marriage. And through all of that, I look at it now, seventeen years down the road or fifteen years down the road, and um, I mean, it's just it's as natural <clears throat> as anything. Um, I don't look to him as any of those things. And so I, I say, you know, five years down the road for you in recovery, I don't know if y'all get to this now, but like it sounds like you have that recovery is not this taboo thing that you have to no. and like look the other way and are embarrassed to talk about. Like for my recovery and even the instance with my son, it's just a normal conversation. Oh, yeah. If it even really comes up in conversation i'm not afraid to talk about it oh yeah it. it comes up all the time i mean she'll she'll like just tell people about my story and then she'll be like yeah i told them that you struggled with drugs and alcohol if that's okay i'm like yeah i don't care mm-hmm. you know i mean that's fine you know and i mean usually she's not just telling them just to be like hey guess what you know like usually <laughs> my usually is jacked up <laughs> usually it's because they've told her oh my son is going through a rough time with alcohol now or or something where it brings it up and she'll 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 share my story for me and I'm I've you know totally fine with that any way it can be used to help somebody I'm all for cool and so it's become ingrained in her you know testimony too is kind of woven in there with it well when is and it's nice too because you guys just saw your list behind me that I made you like even though I haven't seen like the the struggle with you being in drugs and alcohol like i've seen the way that he's grown in his sobriety and i made him a list there was just one time where he was kind of in a bad you know a little rut mentally and i wrote like year one and what his first year looked like and then second third fourth fifth and just writing that for me i was like wow he's really grown a lot and i have i haven't even seen him before that so i'm really proud of him that's awesome thank you sweetie Oh, this is going to turn into a makeout session. I couldn't get out of here. Now, um, so the, kind of this brings us to one of my favorite parts of the show, and this is where what we call it the final four, and we ask all of our guests uh, different questions. Well, it's the same four questions, but we ask all these questions um, to get an idea, for, for our listeners to get an idea, to maybe better know you and also glean some advice from you. So the first question we ask is, can, um, can you name a book other than the Bible? Because everybody tries to go to the Bible. Can you name a book, movie, or podcast that has changed the way you look at an area of your life? Yes. So um, I am a podcast connoisseur, um, but this podcast is actually also a book, and it's called The Next Right Thing by Emily P. Freeman. And, you know, y'all know the, the phrase, the next right thing, because it's used in the program. And, it is. From um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's partially where she got it from. But it's a very introspective podcast. And it's all about, you know, being self-aware and being in the right place to do the next right thing and not just doing the next thing. And, I mean, this is the podcast that helped me decide to go to grad school. This is the podcast that's it's helped me make a lot of decisions. It's, it's a decision-making podcast. And she just wrote a book based on her podcast, and that's really, really helped me a lot. So, have you read the book already, too? Mm-hmm. So, the, so are you? So, you're recommending both the podcast and the podcast book. and well, the book. You just answered the other question. 
Isn't there? Well, that's all one question. Oh, though. it's all one. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. See, I, I I've done this before, but I act like I haven't. He don't have the questions with him today. That's true. Because I'm just gleaning from y'all's experience right now. Number two, if you had a blank billboard to share advice for the world, what phrase would you put on it? Something that I say a lot to people, um, and especially something that I've learned from being with Jason, is don't be blind to the brokenness around you. You know, in other words, don't walk around with, don't walk around just thinking that your world is it and that there aren't other people hurting and suffering, you know, love other people and, and make an effort to make an effort to notice that. Yeah, that's good. That's real good. So number three, when talking about the 12 steps, uh, what is your favorite step? Uh, I know you've been around the steps a lot, so I figure you, you could definitely answer this. Well, I think it's my favorite because it's the hardest for me. I've never formally been through the 12 steps, even though I would like to one day. Um, but step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And um, the word that's the hardest for me is entirely. Because, um, you know, I can ask God all day to help me with something, but really not be ready to let it go. And so I think that's my favorite just because it's the hardest for me. Well, that's the same thing I run into every time I work through the steps is that, you know, entirely. Uh, it's just, it, it is hard. It, it's it's spot on, very difficult to do that. Um, and I think most people run into that when they work through the steps. So, last one, how can people reach you? So, I know you have had a lot of um, emailers on your show. Don't email me. <laughs> uh, I won't check it. Um, I'm on the socials. I'm on Facebook, Dakota Rice, and but I'm really on Instagram. It's probably my main platform at dakota.a.rice. Cool deal. So I think it'd be great for people to be able to reach out, maybe who's got it, someone struggling um, in addiction. Yeah, I think you could um, definitely offer some great insight, along with many other things. Um, and so that is something that me and Jason don't know anything about when it comes to Instagram. We have an Instagram page, but like we don't do anything with yeah. it. It seems to be, this is where y'all's 12-year difference comes in here, uh, is that once you cross like 30-ish or so, it's all Facebook. Any, anything below that seems to be Instagram or Snapchat. Are you a Snapchatter? Um, no. That's below 20, I guess. I guess. I, don't I mean, I have, I have one, but only because my sister has one. And so I like to see what she puts on there. Spine on her. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm spine on her, and like she's terrible at answering me. And so that's the only way I know what's going on in her life is through Snapchat. Yeah, so I'm learning so much with social media through doing all this stuff. And so it's a learning curve for me. But I know for us here on the podcast, Facebook is what we seem to, to run and do, uh, mainly because that's the only thing that we really know. <laughs> Well, Jason, Dakota, I guess this is another one in the books. So yeah. what you think, man? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Podcast with my favorite person. Oh, I did too. <laughs> and it wasn't marriage counseling. No, it wasn't. I told you it was going to go it's well. Got borderline there for a second. Yeah, I, I, was, we, I was nervous there for a second. You dug it out. Well, all right, guys, that brings us to the end of another. So I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.